man, I tell you, I think the enemy doesn't want this to be talked about today uh, for some reason, and, and there's a lot of good, you ever had those mornings where you just feel like, man, okay, should I, is there an alert? It's kind of like Balaam, you know, walking with the donkey and thinking he's, thinking he's doing what God's doing, and all of a sudden all these things are kind of like, wait, is there, is there something going on that I'm not seeing? And the, and the Lord showed me um, this morning, he said, um, Doug, what you're talking about today, you're defending my character, and that's a big deal. Whoa, okay, that's a big deal. So let's get into it. We're in a series called, What is God Really Like? What is he really like? And I think that's an important question for us to talk through and know because the world doesn't know what he's really like. In fact, if you think about it, what did they do to Jesus? Jesus came down and they rejected the very gift, love gift from the Father they rejected. So they didn't even know what God was like because they didn't see God in Christ and Christ was God in the flesh. So they missed it, so they didn't know that. In fact, they even went to the point to say, hey, uh, the reason he has all this power and he's kicking out demons, you know, Jesus did that a lot in the Bible. You, you read through it, it's, it's in the Bible, it's in red. And, and he kicked out demons, and they said, oh, you're just doing that because you got the prince of demons, you know, he's in, in you, you're, you're, you're working for the devil. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 religious, the religious people were so crazy that they thought the gift of God, Christ, not the man, but Christ, the eternal Godhead Christ, came into the form of Jesus in that body and dwelt among us. They were calling him from the devil. That's how far they gotten from understanding who and what God was like. And us today in our society, we have gotten to the place through multiple channels that we don't really understand what God's like. And so we accuse God of a lot of things. And I was praying this week, and I was thinking about what God was sharing, because it's such a, uh, to me, it was such a powerful thing in my life when I started seeing what he's teaching me, uh, or what we're going to be teaching today, that um, as I was writing, and I was saying, God was talking to me about a bunch of stuff, and he says, in response to what people think he's like, he said, what kind of father do they think I am? And the way he said it was like, whoa, like, he's a father's heart. And Jesus said, how much more would your heavenly father give you good gifts if your, if your earthly father wouldn't even give you a, a spider instead of an egg or whatever, you know? It, how much more would your heavenly father not do that to you? And I think about my children. I have three kids and, and hoping for another, believing for another one. And I would never do anything to that kid that would be uh, nasty and mean. Everything I do would be out of a good, healthy heart for them to grow. And so I want to talk about why this is so important. Have you ever got wrong directions before? Oh, man. Is that not one of the most frustrating things where you think you're following them and you're good? Who's a good, you know, you get the direction. You're following them. You're, okay, the street, you're left. And then if you have a map that shows that, okay, no, this is going to the left. So this has to be the way because they said it was left, right? I got directions. I got invited to a cabin up by Lake Loon. You know where that is up Highway 50, Lake Loon, Ice House Road. Anyone familiar? Super nice, beautiful country up there. Almost the way to, almost the way up to the peak, but um, you go off to the left and great wilderness. A lot of people four-wheel drive there. And a friend of mine has a cabin up there and just met him. And he's like, hey, come up. We're going to hang out at the cabin this week. I'm like, sure, I'll come up. That'd be great. Uh, you know, give me directions. Yeah. They had a printout with this whole thing. And man, I, and I, I'm technical, so I will follow the directions. And I tell you what, I got lost, and I was so ticked. I was so, it got me so worked up and mad because it wasn't what it said it was. 
um, that I just was this close from just going, I ain't going up here. I'm turning around. I'm going home, man. This is, this is the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> you know, I was so mad. And then I actually finally figured out, and the map was wrong, but I actually found it some way. I don't know how. I just got it, I guess. And man, was I mad. I was so mad that those directions were wrong. And I think today in the same way, we think by how we were taught and trained or the upbringing we had or the part of the country we lived in or, or, or whatever we grew up in, and we thought that was the right way. We thought someone said, these are the directions for life. These are the directions. This is what God's like. And we were showed that at an early age. And some of us are showing at an early age what we thought a, an adult or an authority figure did to us that was bad. And we thought how, somehow that has to be okay. And it wasn't. And it's like, wow, God, we, we like wrong directions. We've gotten wrong information about God. And now we're accusing God of some pretty serious accusations, which I think we all, including myself, am constantly going, wait a minute, I don't want to accuse God wrong. <laughs> That'd be kind of a bad thing, right? You know, to say, God, you're doing this. And he's like, uh, excuse me? Who, who are you talking to? And so when we, when we look into the life of Job, we see um, some of this going on, and there's so much great stuff that we're going to get into over the next few weeks. I hope you can continue to join us as we kind of investigate what Job did in his life and really talk about um, some of his uh, learnings in his life that he got from there. So as we think about this, I want you to think about the, the way God reveals himself to us. Uh, he, Hebrews 1.3 says this um, about Jesus. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, they're, they're exalting Christ. They're saying Christ is he's much more than an angel. He's, you know, he's Christ. He's, the, he's God in the flesh. And so Hebrews 1.3 says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think of that. Jesus holds the universe together by his spoken word. It's amazing. But I want you to th think of the exact imprint in your Bibles. If you have your Bibles open or your thing, highlight that in your phone, you know, press it, do your highlight, or in your Bible, underline it. Exact imprint. Because this word's interesting because it talks about, it, it came from the Greek word that talked about a, um, an engraving or impression, how they would do mints or coins. And it really talks about not just the, the, the impact of being an exact copy of God, but it also goes past what the, is on the outside and goes to the inner part, which shows the true heart and character of God. So Jesus was the exact representation of God's heart and character and thoughts towards us. So you could say, if you want to know what, G, what God is like or what he thinks about you, Look at Jesus, because he will show you exactly, in fact, God sent him to show you and me what God was really like. In fact, that could be the sermon of, of Jesus' life. I'm here to show you what the Father's like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am showing you exactly what that's like. And then 2 Timothy talks about all Scripture being God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And through God's word, Jesus was the word, right? So when we say the word, we're really talking about Christ is the word. And even in our Bibles, the, the written word is the word written, but it is still the life and power of Jesus Christ in these words flowing through. And so through all this, God will show you because Jesus represents the Father and this is his word, his spoken word, breathed through not only the words of Christ that he spoke, but through the prophets and apostles and teachers over thousands of years, with the exact same message of what God's really like. 
And I want, to, I want to look into that today about what God is really like. We're going to continue in there and look a little bit more into Job's life. So a few things in review if you haven't been with us. Number, your, number one bullet point there is God cares more about knowing you than he cares about what you've done for him. Okay, and you need to know that about God. You can, in religious practices, we talked about a few weeks ago, we talked about Martha and Mary and how Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and that was the thing that God wanted. But Martha was busy doing all the th- good things, things that needed to be done, things that were good to all people, like, hey, we got to eat, so someone's got to do it, right? But the one thing Jesus said Mary has, it will not be taken away from her. And that showed us that God cares more about you knowing, Greek word ganasko, intimacy, close knowing, than he cares about your actions. Because we can get so in the, in the pattern of coming to church and thinking that that's enough. Or even reading our Bibles, we think that's enough. As long as we do the checkbox off of what God expects from us, well, okay, God, you expect all these things, I'm going to do these, and then we get into acts of works. We get into earning God's love and checking the box off and thinking that if we do certain things, he'll love us, but it's not about doing, it's about being and being with him. It's a relationship that matters, not what you do for him. What you do for him should come out of and be the byproduct of being with him. And knowing him should produce the more Bible reading because you want to know the word. You want to get to know someone. When you fall in love with someone, you want to spend time with them, right? You're calling them. You can't stand it when you're away from them. You want to be around them. Why? Because that's the result of loving someone is going and wanting to be with them. So are you with me? So that's what we reviewed. And that's an important thing. Thus, the 30-minute challenge came to let's start spending time with our lover, the lover of our souls. The Bible says Jesus loves us. He wants a relationship with us. The next bullet point, I want, there's three in a row here after this, the last three, and I want you to kind of get this concept. I gave you room to write your own thoughts, because I want, the Holy Spirit's going to kind of say it maybe in something that makes better sense to you, Um, but I want you to get the concept of us. When we get to know God, our confidence grows in him, and we can have more faith and trust in in the works that he wants to do in and through us as uh, believers in, in, in him. So the bu- first bullet point says this, learning about God's character gives us confidence in knowing how he will act. So as we learn about God's character, we read his word, this helps us to grow our confidence in how he will act or how he'll behave or what he'll do. And that's important because with a character reference, right, when you go for a job, they get your character reference so they know how you'll act. They want to know before they know you how you'll act. So they get a character reference and say, hey, if you can get three people that'll say, this guy will show up to work on time, this guy will work hard, he won't cut corners, he won't steal, all that good stuff, then the the new boss says, hey, I've got character reference, right? So I'm confident that even though I don't know this person, I'm going to hire them to my business, which they could totally rip me off if they wanted to and totally do all this stuff that would impact me, but I'm trusting the character. In the same way, when we get to know God's character, what he's like, and the Bible tells us exactly what God's like. You know, a lot of people think that God is still this, he is a mystery for sure. There will always be the mystery side of God. But he gave us this, to fulfill and help us understand a lot of the mysteries that have been of old. Because when Christ came and gave us life, the spirit within, a lot of mysteries were fulfilled in Christ. A lot of them. There's still, we're going to discover great things about God for the rest of our eternity living with him, right? However, God's given us enough that we need for our life to know his character so that we can have confidence in him. 
confidence in what he thinks about certain things, confidence in what he will do, confidence when we pray for someone that he'll do what his word says. Are you with me? So the character does that. Next bullet point says knowing, so if we do that, if we know how he'll act, so we're more confident in how he'll act, this increases our trust in how he will respond to us, okay, how he responds when we're living, right? We have great and precious promises, the Bible tells us, right, Greg? We have a lot of great promises that God gives us, right? And, and the Bible says that the answer to the promises is yes and amen for you. Meaning you can walk in and inherit all of God's promises. It's there through Jesus Christ. So once we know he wants to respond because we're learned his character, then the third one comes into aspect that says as our confidence grows on how he responds to us, our faith is strengthened to believe for his promises for us. So there's, an, there's a, a key component in learning what God's like, learning how he views things, learning how he sees things, so that we can align ourselves up with his character, his heartbeat, and as we align up with him, we start seeing the fruit of how he lives in us. Because God is perfect, right? So his belief system is right on. As we align our belief system to his standard, that changes the way we start acting and behaving. God believes as a certain standard, he is the standard, so he acts a certain way and does certain things. As we attune our belief system to his, we all have a belief system, value systems built in us from when we were little, when we grew up, and, and who we are and where we were born and all the different variables, but that belief system all is born under the kingdom of Satan. So that belief system and value system that we have grown up has flaws, Every one of us, no matter where you're from, has deficiencies and flaws that will keep you from walking like the Father walks if you don't align yourself with his belief system and values that he has in his word. And as we do that, guys, as we align ourselves with his word and character, we start seeing the life parts of God start showing up and popping up in our life more and more as we get closer and closer in alignment. Remember, soul, spirit, alignment. Good? We were there? So that's why it's so important that we understand this concept of what God's really like. Well, I want to talk about, we're going to talk about Job chapter 1, verse 6. So if you're in your Bibles, turn there on your phones, turn to Job chapter 1, verse 6. We talked about Job. Remember, we, uh, we talked about what he was like, the time in which this was written, which was long before the law. He didn't have much going on that. Um, he didn't have the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't have the completed work of Christ. He didn't have all, a lot of things that we have now with God's word and through the completed work of Christ. But he did have the option and the knowledge of relationship. And I want to give you some homework because we're limited on time and we'll, we'll get into this later and talk about it. But um, if you could look in the, the life story, it's, it, it's in uh, Genesis chapter 4 about Cain and Abel. And when, usually when we think of Cain and Abel, we just think, oh yeah, he killed his brother. That's, you know, okay. There's so much more in that passage that you can kind of learn. If you read through there, it's very, very short. Um, if you read through there about Cain and Abel, and, but look at the relationship of how God was relating to them, you'll learn a lot of stuff uh, about God's relationship to them, and that'll help you understand more. But, but nonetheless, Job was a great man, loved God, had, had sin just like we all do. No one's perfect. No, not one. We're all, we're all unrighteous. We all have stuff that we got to deal with. But Job was a good man. He was following God's heart. He was trying his best, uh, but he was very limited. But I want to pick up in 
uh, verse 6. Now, this is interesting because this is where God and Satan are talking. And, and we get this unusual glimpse into the heavenlies. We get this unusual glimpse into the heavenlies where Satan presents himself before the Lord. And I'm going to read this whole context of Scripture straight through, and then we're going to break it down and talk about it. Because I tell you what, reading through it in, in most every version, you can get all kinds of ideas of what God's like. And some of them are really screwy. And if you really think them through, they're downright, uh, you know, heresy, actually. To think God would do some of the things we, in the natural, could read through and go, oh, God did that? I hope he doesn't do it to me. <laughs> so let's read that. So I'm going to read through, starting in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord, doesn't that sound fishy? I'm just saying, that is, it is fishy. We'll get back there. But I, I, every time I read that, I go, he's a liar. He is. He's the father of lies. He's just a deceiver and he's a deceiver all the time. You know, it's funny is that God said, you know, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, the same principles apply in a lot of areas in scripture. The enemy, since he fell, has been the same. The same, he's trying to kill, still and destroy. The whole timeline, he's the same. So verse eight, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him in all the earth, a blameless and upright man uh, who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job, does Job uh, fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said, behold, all that he has is in your hand only against him. Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. Yikes. Are you with me? I mean, come on. You're I know your minds are turning going, whoa, wait, oh, what, what does that mean? Wait a minute. What's God doing here? Are you with me? So, you know, I, you read through that in your daily reading, don't know much, haven't really studied the word, and maybe had some teaching, because a lot of people, they take this, I was reading some commentaries this last week, they take this, this scripture, man, they just, they choke on it, man. They just, they, they say stuff that you're like, do you realize you're saying that about God? <laughs> you better rethink that. So I want to rethink that with you today. I want to think about what happened. We're going to look into the, some of the words and see what God and Satan are really saying. So let's start out with that. So the meeting. Satan was checking out Job. And when I said that sounded fishy, check this out. So God knows everything, right? So when God asked Job, where have you been? He already knew where he'd been, right? The Lord said to say, where have you, where have you come from, Satan? And, he, and he's, oh, going to and fro, walking up and down on it, you know. <laughs> okay, you're full of it. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit's like, he's full of it. <laughs> I love the Holy Spirit. So what was he doing? Well, later on, we see uh, the next verse that talks about, um, let's see, verse uh, 8, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Well, there's a couple things there. Number one, we know that God's saying, right there, he knew where Job was, where, or where Satan was. Where was Satan? Checking out Job. Why? Because he was considering him, and we'll look into that word because that's a bad word, uh, not a correct word. And then um, he was walking around, and he also said, you put a hedge of protection around him. 
So we know that Satan had been around this righteous man that was being blessed by God, and that ticked Satan off. I want you to know today that when you live for God, you tick Satan off. He's, why, and why is he so mad? Pretty much, yep. He's jealous. He had that relationship with God. He rejected that relationship, rebelled against the word of God. He was not a created being with a free will. So when he rejected that was done, he is, it was over. So he rejected God, and now his idea, his heartbeat for you is to keep you from God, to keep you from intimacy with the Father, to wonder, where can I get another 30 minutes? The enemy wants us, we do, oh, I need this, I need this. I'll, wants to keep us from having closeness with God and experiencing God's fullness in our life. And what's interesting about the word consider, so the better translation out of the um, literal translation of the Bible it says it this way. It says, have you set your heart upon Job? So I want you to think about that because God, because if we say God said, have you considered Job? Well, in our language, we could say, hey, devil, have, have you considered Isaiah? Well, why, why don't we have a wager with Isaiah? Have you considered him? He's a strong guy. He loves Jesus. Let's see how he'll do. I wonder, you know, Satan, have you considered him? Well, yeah, if you have, okay, you've been walking around. Okay, cool. Well, hey, why don't we just like thrash his life and, you know, kill some people and, and, and then Satan, me and you can see what will happen. Are you with me? I know that's, I'm going extreme there, but honestly, if you take that word, you kind of wonder, wait a minute, God, what are you doing? Offering up Isaiah as a, as a pawn to the enemy to see what he'll do and what will happen? Are you seeing the craziness that we can get in our minds thinking? So the better translation is, have you set your heart upon Job? And God was saying, Satan, I know where you were. You were walking around. You're trying to find a way into this guy because he loves me, and I'm blessing him, and I'm protecting him, and I'm watching over him. And you're trying to find a, a hole in his hedge so you can get through and bring destruction to his life because you're a stealer, you're a liar, and you're a killer. And you've always been since you fell and rebelled. You've never changed. And that's what God's saying. Have you set your heart? Are you trying to take him out? And I want you to know today that God is not offering you up. God doesn't have these meetings with the enemy anymore because Christ obliterated that. Christ, the Bible says, it, Christ made an open public spectacle of the devil in heavenly places. Do you know what that means? I think I've said it here before. Does anyone remember? That means in the Greek that he, so in, the old, in, the, in those days when they would go to war, they would make the uh, defeated enemy walk through their city not just as defeated foes, but stripped naked. How embarrassing. Not only have you been defeated, your wound, your cut, you don't have any of your armor on, you're embarrassed, stripped naked, walking in front of the people that just defeated you. How humiliating, right? That's what they used to do. Jesus did that to Satan. By triumphing over the cross, he stripped everything from him in the heavenlies and said, I defeated him, and he had to pray knowing that he's a defeated foe, right? He roars like a roaring lion, right, but without any teeth. He's been stripped. So I want you to understand that God is not out offering you up, trying to test you and see what you'll do. Let's get this thought in our heads right now. God don't need to test you. He already knows you. Jesus said it. 
I know what's in man. I'm not going to put my hope in man. I know what's going on there. God doesn't need to test you. He knows what he's doing. And he's not going, hey, check them out. Why don't you go thrash on them and see if they'll still love me? That is not a father. And if you know a father like that, let's go arrest him right now. Because the things we accuse God, people on earth would be arrested for. I was going to show some videos of some bad dads. Couldn't do that. Horrible dads. One kid, one guy was skiing with an infant on his back. I'm like, I mean, it's just crazy. And it got worse. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's some bad dads out there. And sometimes we accuse God of worse things than that. Than that. And we call him father. I just don't understand that. So mark that in your Bibles. Have you considered is a horrible translation, especially in our English, English language, because it doesn't portray the right context of the scripture. So have you set your heart upon as a better translation? That gives you a better idea of what the, their conversation went. So if we do that, we look at that, we look at verse nine and we say, so um, then Satan answered and said, well, does God fear you for nothing? You put a hedge around him, you know, he's blessing him and all this stuff. And you know, what, what's the devil really doing here? The devil's trying to get God to do something to him, Right? The devil's trying to go, well, you, you know, does he fear you for nothing? Well, you take away what you got him, and then see, he'll curse you to your face. So we see this, you know, this little, almost little child. Yeah, Satan, little, little baby, lying jerk, coming up, trying to get God into something, which ain't going to ever happen, right? But if we don't read the next few verses carefully, you can think that God bought into the childlike behavior of the enemy, right? So have you not put a hedge around him on every side? You bless his hands. Hey, 11, but stretch out your hand and all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only don't stretch out your hand um, against him. So I want to talk about the hand because God wasn't saying, yeah, go ahead and do whatever you want, Satan. God was saying, all that Job has is under your domain. So the fall had already taken place. Eve had already eaten the apple, Satan, uh, sin had entered the world, the kingdom of the earth was now under the dominion of Satan, right? He's the ruler of this world, right? He still has that dominion to a certain degree, although Christ has done all the work he has, now he's empowering our church to go take that kingdom, right? But there is still power, and the only power the enemy has is how he deceives you. If the enemy can get you to believe a lie... He can exert influence and power over you by what you believe God says. How you think God is, what he's like. If the enemy can deceive you into thinking something wrong that is against what the word declares, then he, he can exert influence over your life and cause all kinds of junk in our lives. So God was saying, look, all that he has, what, what God was saying is, look, Satan, you already know the drill. You know how this works. It's all under your power and authority, and there's a structure. It's called reaping and sowing principles that have been from the foundation of the world with God. There's already principles and authority and structure. They've sinned. Now they belong to you. Now I'm, he said he'd already promised a redeemer, so he was already planning on Christ. It, was, it wasn't like, oh, shoot, Adam and Eve sinned. What am I going to do now? God had a plan, right? And in that plan, um, there were certain principles and laws and rules that they had to follow. So he said, look, it's under your power. But then God took an extra measure and said, and said, well, you can only go here, though, within that structure. So God wasn't giving him the option to say, do whatever you want. He was saying, look, he's, he's under your authority. You're going to have to, basically, you're going to have to find a way in. 
Because I'm not going to go, oh, yeah, just go ahead and kill his kids and, you know, take out his servants and burn his flocks. And that's not God's heart. And think about the logic if that was. Oh, but God's sovereign. Yeah, but he's not a jerk. He's a loving father, right? We'll learn more about that in James. But in this context, we want to know those key elements that what's, being, what's, what's going on here. So under your control, the, the Greek, that Greek word is translated under your hand, under your power, or under your control, or under your dominion. So there's a structure. It's, it, was, it's, it was Satan's kingdom. It was his rule. And so you got to work within that rule. But I want you to notice as we, as we get through this, I want you to notice... Um, and I didn't put it in here. Someone read to me the first verse of, I think it's 13. I think it's chapter 2, verse 1, actually. Is that correct? Yeah, read that out loud. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Wait, I'm sorry, go to 3. Wait. Verse 3? No, read the last chapter of 1, or the last verse of 1. And all their did not sin. Right? Okay. Please hold. My translation says, nor charge God foolishly. Your what? My translation says, did not charge God foolishly. Foolishly, right. And we'll talk about that later, but I want to talk about. So he said, um, oh yeah, my bad. So we're on um, 12. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't a new chapter. So verse 13. Verse 13 says this. So that's right after Satan. Uh, he said, it's, it's all in your hand, and against him do not stretch your hands. So Satan left the presence of the Lord. Verse 13. And I want you to notice the key of why this story was brought back up. So verse 13, right after this thing with the Lord and Satan, it says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine at their older brother's house. Hmm. Didn't we hear that story before? Did we not hear that story? Yes? So it was in earlier, if you look earlier in chapter 1 in the beginning when it's talking about Job, it says there was a day when their sons and his sons and daughters would go drink and party, right? And then he was, he said, oh, and then he had to go offer sacrifices, right? And he, and he did this continually, right, on, on this day. Remember when we talked about that it was one of their birthdays. It was a celebration. They went and partied, and they were doing things they ought not to do. Remember we talked about parenting a little bit that week, and, uh, and he was so afraid of what would happen based on their behavior that he made sure every time they did their party, got a sacrifice, oh Lord, oh man, God's going to be ticked off, look how they're acting, they're doing all this sinful, bad stuff that I know is bad because I have the, it's not good, and, he's, and I better make this sacrifice because the sacrificial system had already been set up, right? Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, it's all there. It's, it's already been set up, right? Cain and Abel, it had already been set up. And so he knew about that because he's not very many generations after. He heard the, heard the stories. He knew if you want fellowship with God, it's got to be through a sacrifice, right? There's got to be a sacrifice. So he had that, and he's like all nervous going, what's happening? Right? So then it jumps from there to Satan and God talking, right? Then the very next verse, it says, and there was a day when the boys and girls were having a party. Why is that in the scripture? If it's not significant, it's not there by accident. It's there on purpose. I believe that, and we'll look, we'll, if you look down a few, uh, in, I think it's the next chapter, Job says this. 
He says, the very thing I feared has come upon me. Job said, the very thing I feared has come upon me. What? The very thing he feared was that because his sons and daughters were doing their craziness, that somehow that would make destroy everything he has. And he said, the very thing I feared has come upon me. And that's such a key verse because the, uh, the Bible talks about that hedge of protection and that Satan was trying to find a way because he couldn't get in. Psalms 34 says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. So there is a protection. Psalms Earlier in Psalms it talks about, your shield, O God, is around me. Shields typically were in the front, right? But the shield that David talked about in Psalms, I believe it's three, not totally sure, it talks about a shield surrounding us. So there's a front, back, and side protection all around. God protects his children and has that, and the only way the enemy can get in is if he finds a breach in the hedge. Interesting, I want you to think about that this week. You know, it's an interesting thought, you know, when we talk about what God and Satan were doing there. And we think about what people have blamed God for. And I want to look at James chapter 1. And I want to talk about who's testing who. Because a lot of us think, you know, was God testing Job? What was he doing in that whole situation, that story? And, you know, James is interesting because the book of James, I believe, is one of the only uh, New Testament Bibles that actually quotes Job and it uh, refers to Job and it refers to Job's patience. But I want to, it's interesting because when you read through this first few verses and you think about the story of Job, you see how James definitely had read this story and had thought about who's testing who and what's going on in the heavenly. So let's read a little bit about that in James chapter 1. Let's start at verse 2 with the most irritating verse in the whole Bible. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Consider it joy. Consider it, count it joy. Why? Because you're in a trial? No. Because of what it's producing. Count it a joy because of what it's going to do for you. And if you read the context of this verse, or of this section of Scripture, you'll understand that this trial, James didn't say, count it all joy, my brothers, when God inflicts a trial on you. Right? And if you look into the Greek meanings of these words for trials and down even and tempted down below, you're going to see that this, th- those words mean testing. Very interesting. So let's read. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet uh, trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the testing of your faith, the trials we go through in life that are brought on are the purpose is to give us endurance. Steadfast can also be translated endurance, an endurance to stay on. And as steadfastness has its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So isn't it interesting, though, that in verse 5 we're talking, he goes right into, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given. But let him ask in faith. No doubting. So you're in the context of a trial, then he goes right into asking God for wisdom, right? So as we're in the trial, he's saying, look, ask God for wisdom, but don't ask with doubt. You can't ask, you can't exercise faith if you have doubt. Doubt is the opposite of faith. It's a doubt and unbelief is a faith for the negative. 
When you have doubt, you're believing for what God doesn't want. Job had fear. He was believing in faith for this to happen. Wait, it doesn't say that. Yeah, it does. When you fear something, you are fearing and believing that it's going to come and happen to you. That's faith. You're trusting in the negative that something bad's going to happen. That's why the Bible says over 450 times, fear not. Do not be afraid. Have courage. Do not fear. You have not been given the spirit of fear, but a love, power, and a sound mind. All over the word, New and Old Testament, do not be afraid. Fear is believing in faith for things of hell to happen in your life. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, meaning if you're doubting, you're not getting the wisdom. So let's move on. So for this purpose, um, I'm going to skip down a little bit. There's some good stuff in there, but we can do that at some other time. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, remember, endurance under trial, not under trials, not under trials from God, right? God's not testing you. Hell is trying to rip you off. Satan is so ticked and jealous of your relationship and the possibility of what you have with Jesus Christ, the fact that you will rule and reign with him for eternity, he is doing everything away to tempt you and get you away and not be endurance and not have steadfastness and not hold out to the end. He wants you to give up, give in, and give over to his way so that he can hurt the heart of God. Because the heart of God aches when we don't walk in faith. The just will live by faith. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, underline this, and we're closing with this. Let no one say when he is tempted, and that Greek word means tested as well, I am being tempted or tested by God. So don't you dare say, God's testing me. Be careful. Be real careful when you say that because that's not what God's like. James says, let no one say when he is tested or tempted, I am being tested or tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted or tested with evil, and he himself tempts and or tests no one. Think about that, church. This will give you revelation insight into what God is really like. But each person, listen to this, each person, this gives us the reason, well, wait a minute, God's not doing it. Well, what, who's doing this? He tells you. But each person is tempted or tested when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren, he says. Don't be deceived about what, James? About who's testing who? Don't be deceived. Don't think God is doing this. A lot, of, a lot of testing, in fact, I was praying this morning and God said, a lot of people mistake the testings and trials of life for the, um, for the sowing and reaping principle. We think we're being tested when we're just reaping what we sowed. We, we replace, oh, I'm in a trial, God's testing me. But really, you're just receiving the consequence of your actions. The Bible says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. They, they, they have destruction and bad stuff in their life because they lack the understanding of what God says in his word. Look at that. Don't be deceived, my beloved brother. And he's pleading with the church. 
Please, church, don't be deceived. If you think God's testing you, you're missing it. I just said he doesn't tempt or test anybody. And then he says in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to lure you or deceive you. He's not playing games with Satan to mess up your life. God loves you. He's for you. He's not against you. The Bible says, who can be against him? If God is for me, who can stand against me? God is for you. He has plans for you. We all know Jeremiah 29, 11. God has plans for you guys to prosper you. He wants you to be the head and not the tail. He wants you to be more victorious in Christ. He wants you to walk in the power and the anointing of his Holy Spirit and change this world. God is for you. He wants power in your life. I'll end with this. Matthew 6, 9. You, you all know Jesus' prayer, right? What's the last part of it? He says, forgive us our debts. We, we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Guess what same Greek word that word is in, what, in James? Exactly the same. Jesus says, don't lead us into this temptation or this test that the enemy's bringing on our life, but deliver us from the evil, from the enemy, from his trying to pull us away from God's best. So I want you today to start looking differently at the things that are going on in your life and ask God, God, what is this about? How is the enemy trying to pull me away in this area from your heart? And then if you can have a different perspective on the trials that you're going through, right? We're all going through trials. We're all going through testing times where God is refining us and allowing us to be refined. But I want you to be careful on who you assign. God, why did you bring this sickness into my life? Think about that from a father's heart. God, why, why are you doing this? Because listen to this. And not only sickness, you could, you could la- put a label on that, anything you want. My marriage, my job, my current family situation, whatever label you want to put on it. If that's from God and he can't tempt with evil, he's using evil things to try and test you and refine you. That doesn't even make sense. God is not doing that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I said what you wanted me to say. And your word is true. It never returns void. And I am so thankful, God, for your word spoken to us by your mouth, O God. Lord, have your way in us. Help us to know and take on this life and know what you're like. God, we want to know more and more what you're really like so that we can truly serve you, God, because as we know your true character and your true heartbeat about how you view us and how you view this world, it changes us, Lord, from the inside out. It changes us. It makes our life different because of how we think about you, Lord. And we want to know truth because the truth, knowing the truth sets us free, God. So I pray this morning, God, as we go, Lord, you would work on us this whole week in our devotional time as you talk with each one of us individually and start coaching us and training us on on how we're viewing the trials of our life. We'll be careful to give you all the praise. And with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're here this morning and you feel like you're going through the ringer, you feel like the the temptations and the trials in your life are at an all-time high, and you've been frustrated at God, God, why are you doing this to me? I want to challenge you and invite you in 
to having a new, brand new relationship with God because God wants to partner with you. He wants to help you through this testing. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, there's no temptation except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you can endure it. God wants to partner with you this morning. He wants to partner with you through those testings and those temptations to leave his heart. And if you're struggling with that and you want God's help, and if you're struggling with a a testing or a temptation in your life right now that you feel overwhelmed with, I want you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. We're not going to embarrass you. No one's looking around, but I want you to acknowledge with God, I want prayer for that. I see the hand. Anyone else? We're going to pray together. Anyone else want help with that? Want help with a trial and temptations that are kind of drowning you out. You're feeling like, man, am I going to lose it here? Anyone else? Father, you see every hand raised. Lord, and right now, right now, God, I pray for every hand that's raised, God. I pray that your anointing of your Holy Spirit would fall on them right now. That their hearts, their ears, their spiritual ears and eyes would be open to your word and to the voice of your spirit, God, so that they could learn from instruction from you, yourself, God, about how to view these, how to take the word and be powerful, Lord, in the spirit, God. Help them understand. Give them wisdom like James talked about. Lord, you said if we ask, we're going to ask in faith right now for wisdom. God, and I pray for wisdom for each person with their hand raised, that they will be able to apply your scriptures to their life with power and faith and trust. Lord, we know you're faithful to us, and we thank you for partnering with us to help us keep endurance and steadfast onto your heartbeat, Lord. We thank you for that. And with every uh, head bowed still and eye closed, I just want to give the opportunity for anyone to know Jesus for the first time. If you're here this morning and you have not committed your life to Christ, or you find yourself away from him, um, I want to give you that opportunity right now to pray and ask God to, uh, to forgive your sins, to change your heart, and you want to be back in right relationship with him. Is there anyone here today that will say, yeah, Pastor Doug, that's me. I don't know him, or I've, I've known him before, and man, I'm, I'm not spending any time with him. I want to get right with God this morning. Is there anyone here that would say that's them? I want to give that opportunity every week. Yep, see the hand. Father God, I just pray right now for the hands raised, Father. God, that you would birth in them a freshness of your spirit. God, and Lord, we just confess together, Lord, that we're all sinners. Lord, that we need you, God. We need your hand in our life. We need your help, Lord. We can't get through this life without you. So we confess our sin, we repent, and we return, God, to you. Father, fill those hands raised with your spirit, O God. Give them new life on the inside. Help their spirit man to be activated right now in the name of Jesus. Activate the spirit man within with the power and presence of the Most High God, I pray. Right now, in the name of Jesus. If you agreed with that prayer in your heart right now, you're right with God. You're born again. You're with him. His spirit is in you. So, Lord, we thank you for this. God, we thank you for your heartbeat, your love, your grace. Go with us this week, Lord, as we continue to follow after you and tell others how great you are because we're learning what you're really like and what you're really like is fantastic. And it's, we can't help but tell people about you because when we know what you're like, it's phenomenal, Lord. So bless your name, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for hanging through the, I know we went a little long today, but um, God's good, isn't he?